commitment. Exactly, it's a commitment. That's that's correct. And you know, sometimes you have to have these moments where you really hit the floor and you question yourself again. She started here as a placement, and now she's a junior sous chef. Work is important, but not as important as having a family or, or take care of yourself. Was mind opening. The use of spices and cooking techniques. Nikki approached me and said, "Look, there's a chance to go and do Ireland AM." Chef Table Podcast by Hotel and Restaurant Times. Hello, welcome back to the Chef Table Podcast. We're joined today by Alberto Rossi, Executive Chef at the Five Star Intercontinental Hotel in Dublin. Originally from Italy, Alberto has a well-established career working in a number of restaurants around the world before Silton in Dublin in 2002. He's worked in his position at the Intercontinental Hotel since 2013, working with a team of 26 chefs and managing three kitchens. You might have seen him before cooking up a storm on the Ireland AM TV programme. All the Chef Table episodes can be found at our website hotelandrestauranttimes.ie forward slash podcasts as well as on Spotify and YouTube at Hotel and Restaurant Times Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Nespresso Professional, bringing the exceptional Nespresso coffee offering to hotels and restaurants. So, okay, Alberto, maybe we can start. Tell us a little bit about yourself your background well my background um so obviously as my accent sets it out i'm italian my father is italian my mother is irish and i come from a very small village outside milan so i call it very small village because it's one of those villages that you see in the movies you know very very small very small community everybody knows you uh the good thing about growing up in a community like that was that you're part of it so you have all these things that revolve around food that is so such a strong culture in Italy. And um, I have two brothers, I have a sister, and my sister actually moved to Ireland too. So it's a big family. And, you know, food was always very important for us growing up. You know, always visit my granny or my auntie, and they'll always be cooking if they're making fresh gnocchi or fresh pasta, tomato sauce in the street during the summer. So I think you just pick up these things that you're growing up and I'm one of those lucky people that is doing the job I always wanted to do. So I consider myself more than lucky. Now, it's, sometimes it's tough. You know, but mm-hmm. it, I really, I'm really happy when I come and I work in the kitchen and I have a team of chefs around me. I really feel very, very comfortable. So, so that would be me. So it is, I suppose it's safe to say that in the Italian tradition, family is very important. Very important. Very important. You have the culture there. Everything revolves around food and eating mm. together you know you have it in ireland too i have to say um, but there is such a strong connection to it you know uh, you learn to eat great food since since you're a child you know every product is fresh and everything and you know most of the times you pick it yourself because nowadays everybody talks about foraging and everything you know but my granny used to do it when we were five or six she used to ask us would you like to eat some uh, salad tonight and like mm. yeah so then we'll go down the fields and <laughs> collect the salad leaves you know that you say now you're cool you know but back then that was the reality you know mm. it was very good you know it kind of shapes you mm. it shapes you indeed and how would have been the bigger influence your grandmother or your mother well i, I say a bit of both obviously uh, my mother being irish she wouldn't have that strong connection to cooking food in all if you were to ask her she would say that she doesn't really like to cook but that said, she has few recipes that are fantastic. You know, I'll always help her making the Christmas cakes, and every time that we baked at home with mom, uh, will be fun because she'll always leave some of the extra mix <laughs> in the box, you yes. know, and then you'll have to eat it. Yeah. And uh, because of the fact that my mother is from Ireland, we will have all these different cakes that are at our birthday parties nobody ever seen. You know, like here you go and you buy these colors and you make like. Uh, uh, the cake, and then you can put different colors in it, and then you make it all uh, decorated. Exactly, decorate like that. But in Italy, nobody ever did a cake like that. In, in Italy, you eat crostata, frutte, tarts, and everything. So whenever people were invited to the Rossi household for a for a party, they were like, "Oh my God, I hope your mom made a color cake." Mm-hmm. So it was fun because it was different, you know. But then again, you go to Granny, and she'd be there cooking fresh pasta, making bolognese. She used to have um, chicken, so we'll go pick the fresh eggs and the big 
garden and you go pick the tomatoes and the vegetables. So you, you grow in this thinking that it's the normality, you know. Mm-hmm. So then we went back to our house and my dad would have the back garden and we'll have fresh tomatoes and fresh beans and eggplants and everything. So we knew where the food was coming from, how it looked like from the plant and stuff like that. So it's the maybe nowadays it's... Um, it's not completely out there, you know, for everybody to understand where the food comes from and the process of growing the vegetables, the seasonality, right. and all that. Now everything is available right. 12 months yeah. a year. Yeah. You know? So in a sense, you, you're the best of both worlds. You're that sort of, you know, the nurturing of the child and the, exactly. the food. And then the providence of the food is very evident. Yeah, very, yeah. very. And, you know, you take it all for granted, you know, until then you leave that reality and you come out somewhere else and you're like, oh, you know, it's different, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Nespresso Professional brings the exceptional Nespresso coffee offering to hotels and restaurants that demonstrate a commitment to excellence. Nespresso coffee is made using the finest beans sourced from renowned coffee growing territories worldwide. Offering a range of coffees to satisfy discerning palates and complement dining experiences, the Nespresso Professional Coffee Machine delivers consistently exceptional coffee drinks, cup after cup. So, when did you go to college in Italy, or what way did your career? I did. Evolve? I did college um, in Italy. I did cooking school. Now the system is a little bit different from here in Ireland. In, Back in Italy, you choose, let's say, your vocation or what you would like to become when you're about 13, 14, you know, and then you can decide if you want to go for these classical studies or you want to go to a technical school. That would be what I did. I wanted to be a chef. I knew it and I put up a strong fight and I said, I want to be a chef and I went to the school. Now you learn how to peel potatoes, how to cut carrots. You learn a lot of things that you think they're going to be useful. <laughs> but then when you're in the real kitchen, they might be a little bit less useful. So, yeah, I did my, my studies there. I did what, five years. You do because you do three years, you become like they say a, a certified cook, and then you do two more years and you get a full diploma. So, it will be like a college here in Ireland. So. Mm-hmm. And during that time, did you move away from Italy or was all your, all your training done in Italy? All the training done in Italy. <clears throat> you do your first year, and then when you're 14, you do your first placement in a hotel or in a restaurant. And I had mine in a five star hotel in Milan. And I remember it was shocking because obviously you're 14, so you're still half a child, mm-hmm. you know, living at home with your parents. And suddenly you're trusted into this work placement where maybe people are not very, very nice, you know. And also you're talking about 1993, I think it was. So it was different. Uh, the attitude toward the young chefs going into kitchens was very different. I was told, I don't know many times a day, oh, why you choose this job? It's such a horrible job. And I'll be there skimming the fat off the, the, the stock pot you know, for, for days to no end. And, you know, you question if the choice that you made is the right choice. Uh, but thank God I did, you know. So you did that. And then you do another placement when you're 15. So I think that those placements make you understand if you really want to do this job, so if you want to pursue this career, because it's not easy. So they challenge you and make you question yourself. Exactly. Because, you know, when you're in school you're cool with your friends and you go play football and you know school is fun I always say to my kids enjoy school until you can because it's fun you get to meet your friends and you have the good crack and everything Uh, but then that is also supposed to start you in your career that you chose so I think in a way we were lucky to do this placement early enough Uh, and you can see it's like oh am I cut out for this not that you can see far ahead what the challenges are gonna be but you know, you're working evenings when your friends are out. Uh, and you're working Sunday when your friends are off. So yeah, I think early you understand that it's a different... It's a commitment. Exactly. It's a commitment. That's that's correct. That's a perfect word. It's a commitment, you know. It, and you need to understand that. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. So after there, when, when, when you got your diploma and that, where did you go? There? Where did you, can you remember well, your first job? I did my diploma, so I was about 18, uh, short of 19, and at that age in Italy, you have to go and do the military service that was compulsory back then. So it was very difficult to find a job, because if you find a job and they give it to you, they're supposed to hold the job for you until you come back from military service, so nobody's going to give you a contract. Mm. So you, you find these jobs that they give you, like monthly contract. And I work for Autogrill. If anybody ever traveled in Italy on the motorway, 
is where you stop to pet the petrol, there is mm. auto grill. And they do all the fast food, but mm. it, it's not like McDonald's and everything. So you have all sandwiches, pizza and everything. So my, that was my first job, real, real job. And it was mind-opening because I was working in this place that had four levels and there was a pizzeria at the top, a pasta shop at the bottom. There was a grill barbecue in the second floor and you were thrown around to all these different uh, kinds of cooking styles, mm-hmm. you know, so... And was very organized. So was it very intense? It was very intense because it was busy. Like you, 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 we feed thousands of people every hour, and you know, in a way, you're caught into the system. And until you understand it, you're like spinning around all the times. You know, you have all these tasks to do, and you're not understanding the full picture of it. And I've always been very interested to know how something starts and finish instead of just given tasks. Obviously, I was just starting, mm. and but I was very curious, and it was monthly contract, so but it was very interesting because then you could travel to other uh, shops that they had, you know. And apart from the motorways, there was also some places in town, you know, like uh, Piazza Duomo in Milan. You could go there, and it was like a fantastic mm. place. So you can go there and do placements for a day or two, help around in other places. So it was good because. You kind of have a look at a, a bit of everything, you know. So sort of an eclectic experience where you're getting different aspects of food. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was very interesting. And then I did my military service for a year. I traveled all around Italy with military service. And then when I finished military service, that's where, you know, you, you want to pick a good job. And I found this place that was in Milan was a wine bar slash restaurant. It was a cold cuisine. So everything was cooked well cooked was all served to complement the wine you know so we'll have these plates of cured meats and salads and cheeses there was no mm-hmm. cooking it was only cold food and i was there for about a year a year and a half and then i wanted to change obviously i wanted to cook a bit more and i went to this place that was called taverna della trisa it was a typical food from the north east of italy so close to the austrian border so it was all these uh and uh, it, was, it was a very funny cuisine because it's Italian but it's strongly influenced by the Austrian yeah, so soon. hence yeah. the Germans so, 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 so it, was a, it was a combination yes exactly mm. Su- Su- Tirol is called the area, the, the area mm. because you know Tirol is Australia but Su- Tirol is still in Italy mm. it used to be uh, Austrian before the war and then when the war they mm. divided everything they designed new maps that became part of Italy and even there you understand how lucky we are in Italy that you have all these different uh, Cultures? cultures that they became part of ours mm-hmm. you know we we embraced them you know and i remember only two people in the kitchen myself and the chef maurizio and a girl that was um, doing like stewarding job you know and also she chopped the parsley mm-hmm. and i remember that's a place that i cried twice in because of the pressure we used to do fresh pasta and fresh noodles and all these things fresh just the two of us in the kitchen 50 covers for lunch 50 covers for dinner it was kind of michelin star level we didn't mm. have the michelin star but it was that level and i remember one day i came to work late about 10 o'clock instead of eight o'clock and uh, i knew i screwed up i had to do all this fresh food and I, and I said i don't have the time and i remember that i cried from the pressure that i put on myself and then Maurizio, that was the chef, said, look, this is not the right attitude. You know, you can't just get down like this. Stuff happens. You just have to pick up your head. And and I think there also is the moment where you realize, like, am I going to be like this forever? Mm-hmm. Am I going to just get upset and get so worked up for something? And, you know, sometimes you have to have these moments where you really hit the floor and you question yourself again. And I remember thinking, either I quit the job or I go do something else or I just stand up and I and I mm. do it, you know. So thank God I, I did it. I but was it, able it to is a very different exp- it was a very different experience from your experience at fourteen years of age. Absolutely. Where he in, encouraged you and embraced you in a sense. Exactly. Yeah. And and you know and it was uh, many years were passed, about six six years were like between one and the other. And mm. and it tells you how finding the right person in the place that you work can really shape you. Mm-hmm. Instead of putting you down or uh, question your uh, attachment to the job or your career choice is there to guide you and mentor you and you know I'll always remember Maurizio he was able to make me laugh so much in the kitchen you know although I was so busy and so my father used to come visit me now and then because like I haven't seen you in in weeks Mm. 
<laughs> so yeah, he'll yeah. come during his break yeah. in the afternoon. It's like, what you're doing? Said, and we'll be there cooking all day, mm. you know. And But Maurizio was always very good. He was always happy. And I was there for about two years. Mm. And and I, I really thought restaurant was always what I wanted to do. Uh, but then the owner of the restaurant got sick and the doctor didn't have the interest to keep the restaurant going. So we thought, oh, we're all going to get sacked. Or mm. So then I questioned myself and I said, oh, I'm gonna do so. Then I went to work in a hotel in Milan. It was nothing special, but I thought it was better to work for a company like that. That didn't matter what happened, you'll always have the job, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was there. This was called Jolly Hotel. That now I think it's it's a Spanish company that work in Milan. I don't remember exactly the name. Mm. But I was there for about a year and a half. Um, I asked them to transfer me to New York because they had a hotel in New York or London. Mm. And then they came back to me and they say, you've been transferred to Bruxelles. <laughs> I remember thinking it's, it's, <laughs> it's not New York and it's not London. Mm. And I, I spoke a little bit of French at the time, but mm. I, I said, I'm not going. So then at the time I was living with this friend of mine that used to be um, a server in the restaurant where we worked. And we decided to come to Ireland for a break. And while we were here, we loved it. You know, and I used to come to Ireland always as a child during holiday vacations. So I, I felt comfortable here. I have an aunt down in the Leary that if something was to happen, I could always rely upon her to help. So we started to give our CVs around and I came here to the Four Seasons to give my CV. And I, I don't know how many more. And my friend too. And we stayed here three days in my aunt's house. And day two, my friend started to get all these phone calls for interviews in all these places that we dropped CV, but nobody called for me. So I was a bit <laughs> deflated and I was like, oh, what's happening here? And then I realized on the CV, I put uh, my parents' phone number. So everybody was calling back in Italy. So then I went back, picked up all the calls, called back, came up here again to have interviews with the Four Seasons. So I was, I was very happy because, mm. you know, everybody knew Four Seasons. There's a Four Seasons in Milan too. And Stuff of legends, you know. Mm. So, to, to was John Brennan the GM? John yeah. Brennan was the GM, yes. And he had to do all these interviews to get the job, and John Brennan was one of them, you know, because you, you, you meet the human resource manager, the FB director, if you're working in FB. Then you work with the executive chef, and then it's either the hotel manager or the GM himself. So, you get to it that you're sweating your pants. Mm. Mm. And, you know, it, it was a true process. Mm -hmm. And I remember I joined the year was. Uh, the 21st of December 2003 2002 actually yeah just before Christmas just before Christmas and I remember coming here my mom upset that I wasn't going to be home for Christmas uh, and she's like oh would I buy big turkey would I make mm. the, the, the cake for you to bring in? <laughs> I was like I have to go work then I came here and they gave me off 23rd 24th 25th because uh, chef said there's no point overwhelming you with all these menus and how busy it's going to be yeah. So they gave me Christmas off. <laughs> and I remember thinking inside, I said, why did I come here then? You, you could have told me to start after Christmas. But then again, you know, it's the way it is. Yeah. So I was here Christmas Day on my own <laughs> for right. the first time. Wow. Not nice. So tell me, what's it like a day? Like, Take a particular, any, any day in the kitchen in, in the Intercontinental. How busy is it or how phonetic is it? Well, you see... We, it kind of get busy, this place, okay? Like, I, I try to do a bit of a different shifts. I usually do what's called a middle shift, like today. I, I drop the kids to school, and then I get here. So depending on the traffic, I start between 9.45 or 10.15. Um, and then I'm here until it's needed to be. Uh, there are certain days that it's very hectic, it's very busy. Uh, but we are a very well-organized machine, I call it, you know, because it's... You know, we have half of the hotel that has a kitchen that looks after all the outlets like season restaurant, lobby lounge, and the room service. And then we have another kitchen on the other side that looks after all the uh, meeting and events. So we have big parties that we can do up to 500. So it can be very overwhelming at times. But there is systems in places. You know, the week before, we already know what's happening. We have these meetings to discuss who's coming, what time is coming, what are the menus. And me and my team are lucky enough to be working together for, let's say, probably eight, nine years, most of us. Uh, so we know how it works. The system has been put in place years ago, and uh, now it's just making sure that we follow all these steps. Mm -hmm. And although you can be fully prepared 
for the end of the world, lying <laughs> so busy, there is always something that happens in this industry uh, that challenges you. And the secret in a place like the Intercontinental Hotel is that you have to try and take it in your stride. Um, there's no point stopping the clocks working just because there's a special request or because the guy, the guest wants to change something on the menu. We always try our best to take it in a positive way because otherwise you just wreck your head and, you know, you, you have to do it anyway. So it's better to do it in the correct way with a positive attitude. And, but that's something that comes to you. But, that, but that, that seems to be something you've learned with, with that chap in Milan. Where exactly. He said, relax. Just relax move. and take yeah. it easy. And, you know, and in a way, it's, that's why I'm saying it's so important to pick the right place to work and the right mentors and the right managers. Uh, a lot of people go and they choose the place where they want to work. But you have to look a little bit more in and you have to go and make sure that you choose the right person to work with. And it's a bit like a marriage. It, yes, well, relationships are like that, and they, you know, you, you have to take and you have to give, and you have to make sure that you can survive in this relationship, mm. and, and not only survive, also uh, grow. You know, and what I tell all my team is when I when people come here for an interview uh, as a chef de partie or a demi chef de partie, so somebody that already a bit of experience, I always tell them and I said, you might join now as a demi chef de partie, but growth here is is possible, and it, and it's always there. If I was looking at my team, there would be, let's say, Ellen. She started here as a placement from Calbrua Street College, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And now she's a junior sous chef. You know, it took all this time, but she loves it. And I like the fact that we are capable of promoting somebody's career within the hotel. So you're here a long time, you work hard, you put your effort, but you get back something. So in a sense, you, you've almost, it seems like you've brought that sort of Italian culture of family into the kitchen and you mentor and look after your team almost like family? Well, I would like to think that, you know, I would like to think that, Cyril, you know, it, 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 I don't think it's up to me to decide if that's the case. I, I, I think that that's up to the team to say, yes, we feel looked after and we feel mm. um, that we are taken care of. But I think as a executive head chef or even as a head chef your responsibility is to look after your team of course the guests are number one but if your team is happy if your team is well engaged if you train your team correctly and you treat them well you know they'll give back tenfold mm-hmm. you know and, and a lot of this culture also was with four seasons when we started here if you have a little bit of the attitude and then you work for a company that really believes in these ethos i think everything just gets much better you know, and I think when it's like in a relationship, when both parties are the same, it's, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky that I have such a team that I have days off and I go in holidays and I never think about, oh my God, I hope everything is fine. You know, I'm, you have confidence in your team. Absolutely, 100%. You met your wife. She's Irish. She's Irish, Katie. Yeah. I met her here in this hotel when it used to be for season, so... Mm. She started working pastry, I believe, was either 2004, about there. And, uh, yeah, fell in love. Mm-hmm. You know, Ireland was only supposed to be a stop for two or three years, and then Australia, New Zealand, uh, you know, everybody mm-hmm. had these big dreams, you know, mm-hmm. to do South Asia, travel the world, and instead, no. <laughs> a bit like your father, you lost your heart. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, that's the funny thing. When, when I look at it, I say... Uh, my father fell for an Irish woman called Katrina, and I fall for an Irish woman called Catherine. That's yeah. Katie, you know. Yeah. And when I look into it, I said, you know, maybe I shouldn't look into it that much. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, we fell in love, and um, mm. we left then for season together. And in 2005, I went to New Zealand. Because mm. uh, here was really, really mm. busy. Mm. It was mental, you know. Those were the Celtic Tiger years. Mm. And I remember times that I'd come to work in the morning and I won't be leaving until 11. You know, we'll be here 6 in the morning until 11. And not just once. It was constant. It was just very, very busy. And when you want to learn, like I did and a lot of other colleagues that we were at the time, this is like, it's like a goldmine because working in an hotel, you have to be able to do it all. You have to do fine dining and then you have casual dining in the lobby lounge and then you have banquets and we were so busy that even though I was working in the main kitchen you have to go and help because it's all about a team effort mm-hmm. and so so you're exposed to all these 
different styles, not of only cooking, but also organization. I always say if you are capable of working in banquets in a big hotel like this that does all these numbers, you're prepared for everything because it's all about positioning yourself for success. You know, discussing things, planning things, talk to suppliers and everything. So uh, I left this place after three years. I was prepared for everything. And when New Zealand, working out in a restaurant there, we traveled and work at the same time. We want a little bit of a downtime. And uh, it was a beautiful experience. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Just very far. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, very far. 24 hours of flight. Mm-hmm. And if you are attached to your family like we are, uh, we realized it was a bit too far. So after a year, we came back. And um, I think Katie went to work uh, in town. What was the, the hotel that now is owned by Press Up Group in the Temple Bar? The Clarence. Clarence. So oh. she found a job at the Clarence. But then we both went and did the pre-opening of the Ritz-Carton down in Powers Court. Mm-hmm. And that was something to do. The pre-opening of Hotel of the Caliber was mind-blowing. Uh, because I believe that they we opened in, in October, probably, and we joined August. So it was two months of trying all the recipes, writing the recipes, cleaning the kitchen every day because it was still a working in progress hotel. So we had dust filling every cranny and every... And I remember cleaning every day, like a lunatic. Mm. But... When you do a pre-opening a hotel, it just sets you apart from, from, from a lot of other people because you, you get to open it. It's another, another tool in your box. Exactly, it's another tool in your box. And I spent about a year and a half there. Katie mm-hmm. got transferred to the Shelbourne uh, because we Ritz Carton was a Marriott. So mm-hmm. she got transferred to the Shelbourne. I left and I went to open an Italian restaurant in Danliri that was called Oliveto. But now it's in another place. And... Uh, the pre-opening of the hotel gave me the tools, as you said, to then do the pre-opening of this restaurant. So I was well prepared to mm-hmm. uh, talk to suppliers, prepare the recipes and all this. So it's, uh, sometimes things just happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just it's happen. Good, and it's, great skill, it's, a great, it's a great skill set to have. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, pre-openings and openings are great. And uh, I'll always remember, though, during the COVID period, shutting down the kitchen in this hotel that was a, a brand new mm. experience that i never had before you know right. and in the space of two years i think we did it three times yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so well, i think a lot of people have that experience of closing their business yeah and, and it's surreal mm. because you know you're gonna have to reopen it at a certain point most likely mm. and uh, it's kind of uncharted waters because mm. you're like okay it's not just like you turn the gas off at home and the lights mm. uh, you have to stop the suppliers, you have to stop the payments. Yeah, there's so much. You know, the yeah. guys at home keep, you know, keep in touch with them, keep them up. And that was, was surreal. Yeah. And then we reopened, then we closed, open, close. But you obviously have, have a, you've embraced Ireland in a very positive way and are very much, you know, ensconced here. And even so much that you do a lot of TV work with. I TV do. AM. I do. It came by chance, obviously, uh, thanks to this job that I have here. Obviously. When you work for a hotel big like this, there's PR companies involved mm. that they always push menus and profiles mm. and everything. And um, Nikki approached me and said, look, there's a chance to go and do Ireland AM, some cookie slots. Would you be interested? And obviously, say, yeah, why not? You know, I'll take it in my study. But obviously, I was a bit nervous. Mm-hmm. The first time I went there, um, there was no preparation. You know, <laughs> they just put me in front of the camera. And in my silly mind, I thought was a pre-recorded so that it was live you know my wife did it a couple of times too so she gave me a few mm. things she told me do this do that but i wasn't ready you know i didn't know where to look you know look the camera i look uh, so it was a bit uh, odd the first few times and i really had the nerves mm. uh, but then i have to say that the presenters and they all set up their island am they're very very good they really put you at ease and i'm delighted you know it, it's good fun it's mm. good for the hotel it's good for me and uh, just good fun you know and, you know, I presume that, you know, a lot of you cook at home. So I presume what you do is take your home cooking onto TV. Exactly. So what was your, what would you be, a go, what's your go-to dish at home? Well, at home, I would say anything to do with rice. Risottos, obviously coming from Milan mm-hmm. and the place where I come from too, that was surrounded by rice fields. Uh, risotto is my to-go play thing, you know, and I did it a good couple of times in TV too, you know. Mm-hmm. And the kids... 
love the risotto, thank God, you know. My daughter always asks me, oh, when can you make the yellow risotto? That is the saffron risotto. Mm-hmm. So I make that. And then she asked me to make arancini. So, so, so there's a lot of requests at home, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> that is good. Now, I probably cook less than a lot of people would think. Uh, but with kids, you're always cooking at different times and different things, you know. And, but, they are, you know, it's great. You know, we, we, and obviously you, you set up your kitchen at home like it's your kitchen in, at work. But mm-hmm. you, you don't have enough resources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you that. But, you know, if you look at food style, like, I mean, like obviously you've very much an Italian background. Yes. If you look at, we'll say, Asian fusion and things like that, would you bring some of that into this, into your cooking here or what way? Well, yeah, nowadays, yes. You know, and I think that that's, again, part of your uh, luggage of growing and cultures that you meet. Like, mm-hmm. I always say to everybody and uh, students when they come visit the hotel, I always say, uh, coming from a small town in Italy, I would never have the opportunity or the chance to meet and work with or even just spend time with people from India, Nepal, Indonesia. I would have never met them where I come from. Mm. Instead, the fact that I came here uh, and I work in a hotel like this that embraces all different cultural background. In the kitchen, we had French people, Canadian people, because the chef was Canadian and the company was Canadian. So they bring a lot of Canadians. Indonesian people. I never met before an Indonesian person. And let alone knowing their culture, but their cooking. Cyril was mind-opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, the use of spices and cooking techniques that I would have never thought of. Fresh ginger, fresh coriander, galangal. I didn't even know where they were. Mm-hmm. You know, and in Italy you use oregano, basil, marjoram. Mm-hmm. You know, it's completely different. And, you know, you think, okay, rice, I can only make risotto. Instead, I... And Putu were here doing stir fries, and it was, like, it was amazing, you know. Yeah. And to have such richness of culture, and then the Indians and, and the cooking of the basmati rice and Thai people with the sticky rice, mm-hmm. like stuff that you never, you have to buy books to learn these things, and then you have to try, make mistakes, you know. Mm-hmm. Instead, here we had all these experience, and they were friends, and a lot of it was just for for us, you know, they'll cook food for us to eat. It wasn't yeah. even for the guests. So it was the real cooking. It wasn't something made up just to please the guest. It was, was their cooking, something that they would be at home to feed themselves. And it, it was mind-blowing. And you learn all these techniques, you know, and then obviously they, they remain with you. They're part of your uh, culture now. And so there is Asian flavors in our menus too because we understand them now, you know, and, and I feel comfortable cooking that way mm-hmm. while before you're like oh mm. i don't know how to do a stir fry you know you you can look in tv you know but uh, being exposed to all these background is fantastic and now we have loads of people from south america and their cooking is different too and i repeat it's down to the spices or you know if you for example were to take indian cooking and that's something i only learned recently i was looking at the guy doing um, we have on the menu alu gobi it's uh, Chef Ranjiv, so we call the Chef Ranjus Alugobi on the menu. And he was starting to do it, and I wanted to see exactly how he did it. So he put in the garlic in the oil, but he burned the garlic. Now, you do that in Italy, you get in trouble because the flavor of burned garlic doesn't sweet, suit the food, you know. But instead, in this recipe, you burn the garlic because it gives a different flavor. Mind-blowing for me. Stuff like that still makes me smile and... Uh, the all learning process never ends. It's all about interpretation. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a, a, a less, not a less trained mind, I don't want to say that, but the fact that I met all these people over these 20 years that I'm here leaves you open to this. Well, that's what I said, that you have a very open mind. Exactly. Like if I saw it the first time, I would have said, what are you doing? You're burning mm-hmm. the garlic. Throw the pot away, mm-hmm. throw the garlic away, mm-hmm. and start yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. Instead, I let it happen because I'm like, I'm sure he knows what he's doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And it is true. It's... Uh, it's completely different. And if you don't have these experiences before, uh, you, you, you stop yourself from, from mm-hmm. learning. So you always have to have an open mind to taste everything. And in a sense, that brings a, an eclectic offering to your, to your, to your clientele. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, I could go down the way of putting everything Italian in this restaurant, but that was never the, the idea or the mm-hmm. goal. You know, we want to have a, a diverse food offering. So we have seasoned restaurant that is more... Um, contemporary Irish food. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we try to use as much local produce or at least Irish products, you know, all our meat is 100% Irish, you know, we don't want to import anything at all. And then in the lobby lounge, it will be more of a cosmopolitan food. So you have different flavors. You might have the Asian stir fries. There is some Italian, but then you have the staples, fish and chips, burgers. And then in the banquet is a bit of everything. You know, you need to be able to cater for everybody. You know, we got so many inquiries over in banquet. And then we we do a lot of things that are just uh, bespoke for guests. Mm -hmm. You know, when we do these tastings, uh, I get to meet the guest and the guest might not want this, but they might want that. And, you know, and if we can, we always accommodate the guest. At the end of the day, people come here for a reason. I want to make sure that they keep coming. So mm-hmm. I think it's also our job to listen to the guest, yeah. see what he wants. And if we have the opportunity and the capabilities of doing it, we are always up to do so it. So when you sit down with the guest, obviously you're, you're going to embrace their needs, but equally gently persuade them exactly. this won't work <laughs> and, that, and that is tricky you know because the first few times that, that, that you sit down with the guest yeah. and you have this conversation you know i repeat it's not something that they train you to do you know it's not that i went to some room upstairs and they trained me how to speak to the guest it's down to what you are uh, politeness and speaking to the guest with the proper terms and everything mm-hmm. and head wrecking the first few times mm-hmm. you know but then we get a lot of repeat guests, a lot of repeat mm. business. So they, re- they remember me. I sometimes don't remember them. I have to mm-hmm. say, terrible, you know. But yes, you have to you have to make a stand and say, look, this is what we can do and this is how much we can deliver. So, you, you know, you don't want to overdo things because we did that a couple of times. Because uh, when we do tasting, we do one or two dishes and then the guest comes, tasting, we take a picture and then we have just to repeat the same dish maybe for 500. And that's something that we didn't take consideration the first time. So you pit all these garnishes, these puree, these oil, these herbs, uh, 20 movements on a plate, and then you have to go do it for 500 people. So you do that mistake once. Mm-hmm. You know, and never again. You learn. You learn. <laughs> Learning curve never stops. Yeah. So when we got new people, new joiners in the kitchen, and new chefs that they want to, you know, do this and set themselves up, you're like, look, you know, you have to start easy. Because you have to take everything in consideration. So, you know, there's a lot more thinking mm-hmm. to cooking than just doing it. At least mm-hmm. at this level, mm-hmm. you know, especially for banquets. I repeat, you have 500 people. You cannot have 20 movements on a dish. You just do the calculation. It's way too many. Yeah, yeah. You need 100 people then. And you don't have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that brings us on nicely on today. You know, the industry obviously is recovering from the pandemic. And I suppose it's safe to say that Currently, if you look at um, how busy hotels are, a lot of it's because of the backlog of events and everything else. Absolutely. So it's a little bit surreal or unreal, whatever you want to put it. But how do you think, that it, has the industry recovered well or how is it recovering from the pandemic? Well, the pandemic, I think, set a couple of things straight and some wrong. In a way, I think it gave everybody the opportunity to especially in this industry. I don't want to... Mm-hmm. This is a very hectic industry, the hospitality industry, where people tend to work loads of hours. And doesn't matter you're a chef or once you work in the hospitality industry, you could be a steward, you could be a, a purchasing guy that works down in the offices bringing in the stuff. There's a lot of work. It's constant. And it's always busy. I always say, even if you were to close the hotel two days, you'd still be busy. Because mm-hmm. there's always something things to do. But when everything closed down, obviously hotels, restaurants, and anything that closed, that to leave a lot of people home. And I think that people realized that, okay, it's busy, you need me. It's not busy, you don't need me anymore. So people re- reevaluated what's important in their life. I did too. You know, during the pandemic, I was the first time in I don't know many years that I had time for myself. You know, I'll wake up. And it'd be me, my wife, and the kids. And I didn't have to go to work to look after meals and people not liking the burgers and saying that they ruined their day because the burger wasn't cooked correctly. So so you have all this that just disappears overnight. And it's very relaxing. I lost about 20 plus kilos because I was able to focus on myself. Also, the good weather was very nice. We were always walking around. And not to be home is, you know... A lot of people don't realize, but during the pandemic, a lot of people obviously stayed home and 
Katie and I both working in hospitality. We love different lifestyles, you know. I'll be working here in the morning, she'll be working there in the evening. So our path at home will never cross that much. And suddenly you're at home 24 hours. And, you know, you have to reinvent how you live together, you know, because you, you adjusted yourself and not having another person beside you. And suddenly you get on each other's nerves because I'm watching a TV program that she's alone to watch. So, so there's all mm-hmm. that, you know. Mm-hmm. I repeat, everything just changed overnight. And then you realize working like a lunatic or like a maniac ain't gonna bring you anywhere and then a lot of people didn't come back to the industry you know especially if you're a foreigner and you come here and this is not your home country you're like hold on a second i have i'm not working i'll go back home so a lot of people went back home we lost about six or seven chefs because they went back home and then they never came back and i can understand that you know and so then when we reopen, obviously people are expected to go back from zero hours to million hours because the business needs it. And that's where people reevaluate and say, hold on a second, I'm not ready to, to be like before, mm-hmm. to work till the no end of day, you know. So I understood that my team priorities changed and we try to support them and be respectful of those. Like before, we might be pushing the staff to get maybe six days now and then or do extra hours, 12, 13 hours, because you're it's busy and you're part of, of this working like a pirate. Every mm-hmm. hour possible, you got to work. And it's almost cool to work 13, 14 hours. You know, there is all this mm-hmm. attitude, you know. And I say the pandemic wiped that out because it's just not on. No. It rebooted the economy, didn't it? It rebooted the whole people's thinking. Absolutely. Yeah. And in a way, hospitality industry is a bit different from the other industries and everything that is attached to the hospitality industry is the same. That you have this constant pressure and constant... It's even difficult... Expectations. It's also difficult to explain. Like, for example, for a chef, while you're working, if something needs to happen, if there's a guest request or something, everything is... It needs to happen between... In five minutes... So our delivery time, our it's very limited. Mm-hmm. It's not that you can come and say, like a burger, and I say, yeah, come back next Tuesday or next Wednesday. No, it needs to happen now. While a lot of other industries are like, ah, yeah, leave it there on the table and look at it next Tuesday. Or, or you know, when I come back from my holidays, they say, for us, we don't have that. Mm-hmm. So there is this constant, uh, fast pressure. working pressure. Mm-hmm. And not to have that, sadly, it's very liberating. Mm-hmm. And at night you can watch your favorite TV program half it because you're not here sweating in the kitchen. So a lot of people left the industry too, Cyril, and they said, mm-hmm. oh, who's making me do it? You know, because the pay is not stratospheric when mm-hmm. you're chef de partie or mm-hmm. junior sous chef. And, you know, when you're in the middle of your career, it, the pay is not great. Uh, but the hours attached to it are immense. And a lot of people then make the mistakes of taking their pay per year and divide it by the hours that they work and that'll destroy you. You know, and I think the issue with this industry and trying to get people to join is a lot of that is money and lifestyle. You know, anybody would join Google working maybe Monday to Friday, more sociable hours, proper pay, and they look after you in all the way. Instead, the hospitality industry is not like that, sadly. Mm-hmm. You know, you might come in at six in the morning because it's busy and you may not have a break and work until nine o'clock and for a lot of Many years that was accepted and heralded, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you're the cool guy, you know, but it's not, you know, and I'm part, I was part of the problem because I will work all the hours, you know, my wife will let me work all the hours until there was a limit. And she said, if you don't take tomorrow off, I'm moving back with my parents. And those are wake up calls because like, oh, my God. You know. But it's all about balance. Yes. And but, the industry, I think the industry has to look at that. So how do you think the industry can continue, we said, to encourage people to join the industry and pay them well and look after them. How, how, what do you see as being... In- we, we, are, we are experiencing these difficulties too now. You know, we, we retain a good amount of chefs from this team, I think about 17, and then we were able to add another eight or nine. So there's about 24 or 25 of us in the kitchen that it's nothing like we used to be before. Before mm-hmm. we used to be 31. Uh, but by you... 
how you attract people is very also depends place to place. We try to make sure that when people come here, they're looked after. You know, here it's good. You can get your uniforms, mm-hmm. get your shoes, and you get your money back. But I try to make sure to tell people that you're joining a team that's been working together for a while, where they respect each other. Uh, there is no, I'm not saying there's no screaming because they'd be lying, but there's never personal attacks. It, it's never personal, you know. It's, they might raise your voice so everybody can hear you. But it, it's, it's fostering a culture of working together, a team effort. I always, tell, I always tell everybody you need to be able to help each other. You're never alone in the kitchen. There's always somebody else. Don't be putting the pressure on yourself to deliver. You can ask help. Mm-hmm. So it's about fostering and selling this team spirit. And most of the times it works. Most of the time it works, you know. And to pay the people right, that's, that's, that's a very long answer to give you. Mm-hmm. But we try to make sure that we don't offer minimal pay. Mm-hmm. Because nowadays, especially in Dublin, you can't live with that. Mm-hmm. So we have most, I think, 95% of my staff, uh, they, work, they live alone, so they pay rent. Then you have a couple of guys that might live with their parents. So in that case, if you're 19 or 18 and you live with your parents and just the start of your career, I feel a little bit less bad to offer you the money that comes attached with the role. Because at least you're living with the parents and hopefully they'll let you pay rent. <laughs> you know? But then when you get to the point where people are paying rents and bills, uh, you need to make sure that you're supporting them correctly also monetarily. Mm. And you, know, you get a lot out of this career if you're doing it right, but we also need to make sure that people are paid the right amount of money. Uh, and that's not, it's not that there is a yeah. formula that you can use. And in essence, to do that, though, that would, that would invariably mean that the price of the food being offered has to go up. Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's a catch-22, you know. If you look at now, people are complaining because the food costs a lot of money now compared to a year and a half ago. But I am the, of the idea that some of the food was a bit too cheap before. And now maybe we are paying the right prices for some of the items. And, you know, we need to understand if we want quality, you want to pay. You know, if you want to make sure that you eat chickens that are raised correctly, then you need to pay a little bit more than just the two kilo chicken that you can buy in Tesco for two euros. You know, it's also down to us. And, you know, our prices here, yes, are dear, but you get great service and you get a great day out and my staff gets paid correctly and you get quality food absolutely mm-hmm. and i can stand behind the 100 percent. you know i always say people come in here at this level of service and five-star hotel mm-hmm. you can't offer them the same chicken that you can buy in Lidl. let's mm-hmm. say you know with all due respect with Lidl, you know we try to make sure that it's free range and it's properly done. All, all the eggs that we use for the breakfast, free range, organic, you know, we make sure of it. You know, you might pay top price, but you get the top product mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on all Irish. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there is a whole thinking behind this. You know, it's not the race to the cheapest product to try and make the most of the profit. Mm. You know, I sometimes get in trouble because I pay the chicken too much. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But, point. you know... So, to maybe wrap up on that, if we look at Alberto, like we've got a little bit of sense of you being at home during the pandemic and how it sort of, you had to readjust and re, re, readdress the home situation. How do you relax? You do a lot of running, do you? I do running. I try to run at least four times a week. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I get three. And, you know, I do about six, seven kilometers, depends what's happening in my head, you know. Mm-hmm. And I either drive here to the hotel, park the hotel, and I do a loop around the, the beautiful houses in the four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or otherwise, on the way to work, I stop in the Phoenix Park and I run at the Phoenix Park because I live in Castelnock, so mm-hmm. it's leave the kids and I run. I prefer the park, but at least here I'm closer to work. So I try to do that. It frees my mind. And um, it also helps me relax my mind. You know, you're running and your head is thinking and it solves problems. So when I come here in the kitchen, I'm relaxed, I'm worked out, and I already set up what the day is going to be. So I don't know if everybody works like that, but usually I get a clear mind if I do a nice run or I do a nice workout. And then I like playing football and watch football. And now my son is into football like a madman. 
So any free minute, I need to go and play football on the rebound net or on the on the green or anything. Mm. Skate with my daughter and all that. So the kids and have to say, say save skate, my life. Roller skate, is it? Skate, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I always say the kids save my life because I don't remember what I used to do in my free time before the kids were born. I probably just nothing, you know, watching TV and doing nothing. Uh, but the kids really keep you grounded, and you can have the worst day ever at work. You go home. They smile at you and everything is fixed. So they, they help you relax. There's something else and it's not just work. Work is important, but not as important as having a family or, or take care of yourself. You know, I, and I tell this stuff mm. too, have a hobby. Mm. You can't just be 24-7 kitchen food and everything. Like I love reading about food. I love watching programs about food. If I go in holidays, I go at the market. So it is, everything revolves about food, but it's also for pleasure. It's not mm. just work-related, mm. you know. For me, I feel happy if I go visit suppliers, mm-hmm. you know, and see why they decided to grow vegetables or look after animals and all this. So I find it fascinating, mm-hmm. you know. It just food, it's, it's all my life, you know, in a way, you know. And Well, as you say, from your formative years in Italy to now, it's, it is it's all part of your lineage, isn't it? Exactly, very true, and, you know, and I... That go back to the fact that I'm lucky to do the job I always wanted to do. I'm surrounded by food, surrounded by people that love food. Uh, so it, it, it's great. Mm. You know, it never gets too much, put it that way. <laughs> and in your own career, do you think, is this the pinnacle of your success or have you other dreams or other ambitions? Well, pinnacle of success, that's a big word. Uh, I think uh, I'm happy where I am at the moment. Mm. And I always say, Nikki, you know, uh, my general manager is mm. always telling me he's happy to have me here and I'm happy to be here. Mm. I don't really try to look, not that I don't look at the next step, but I like cooking a bit too much to step away from it and do something mm. else. Mm. You know, sometimes at home you're thinking, you know, what's the next step? Will I try to do something different, moving to F&B management or GM of a hotel? Mm. You know, you have all these things, but I'm like, I can't step away from what I really, really like, you know? So we'll see what the future holds, but I'm happy, very, very happy to work for Intercontinental Hotel and MHL as a group. Mm-hmm. You know, every hotel and every workplace has its own issues, you know, and we have ours. But by working together, you can make the place better. You know, so I'm happy to be here for the foreseeable future, see what else comes for Intercontinental and MHL. Oh, that's right. So the future is bright. Exactly, the future is bright, you know. Right. And, you know, we shape it ourselves, you know, so it's up to what you want to do. We hope you enjoyed this issue. You can follow and subscribe to our channels with all our podcasts available on our website and on Spotify and YouTube. Bye for now.